Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Detectives. When a gangster decided to get rid of me, he worked out a systematic plan of murder. That is the situation on this page from my casebook, the casebook of Jerry Browning, Private Detective. You can take the word of Jerry Browning, Private Detective. No man can get along without friends. The man who walked into my office was Ed Bimrose, president of the Downtown Small Businessmen's Protective Association. A brand new name for a very old racket. Browning, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'd love to get used to not seeing you around. What's <laughs> the matter, Ed? Do I bother you? Yeah. Six members of my association resigned. All on account of you. Waste not, want not. So now I have to go around and crack some heads. I got up. Ed, I've been gathering evidence about your shakedown racket. Forewarned is forearmed, Ed. The next time you try any strong-arm stuff, you're going to jail. There was a long, thoughtful silence. Then Ed put his hand into his pocket. The pen is mightier than the sword. And the dollar is mightier than both. Here, go take a trip around the world for yourself. Twenty-five grand. I picked up the roll of money he'd flung on the desk and tossed it back at him. Sorry, Ed, I don't sell out. Ed sighed. Okay, Browning. When you get knocked off, I hope you'll understand it's nothing personal. Just business as usual. But I wouldn't accept a big bribe to get out of town. A racketeer threatened me with death. I was driving along River Cliff Road three days later. The road has some sharp curves on it and a steep drop to the river. So I was going along at a conservative 35 when a car coming up from behind drew abreast and suddenly cut sharply into me on a curve. I spun my wheel around and went off the road into a track close to the edge of the road. By the time I got out, the other car was long since gone. I walked to the front of the car and patted the crash post. Apparently, I'd underestimated Ed Bimrose and his threats. At Lieutenant Dawson's desk at police headquarters, there sat a man I'd never seen before. Is Dawson around? No, he's bringing back a prisoner from Kansas City. I'm Lieutenant Gallagher. What do you want? I told Gallagher about my interview with Ed Bimrose and the accident on Rivercliff Road. What do you expect me to do about it? Did you get the other car's number? Are you sure they done it on purpose? <laughs> Never mind, Gallagher. Forget I mentioned it. I'd left my car to be repaired, so I took a cab back to my office. I paid off the driver, walked across the sidewalk. The bullet nicked the granite wall only inches from my head. I ducked inside the building, and I was safe for a while. I didn't go upstairs. Instead, I ran down to the boiler room and out of the building through my own emergency exit. Then I took another cab to Louis' hamburger heaven. Louis? No, he's out of town. His uncle's sick. Anything I can do for you? I shook my head. Thanks, Mandy. It wasn't important. Mr. Cooley? Well, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Browning. He got a hurry call to visit the home office in Hartford. Well, what's the matter, Mr. Browning? Are you sick? Not as sick as I'm going to be. 
At a drugstore phone booth, I made a call to Wilbur Norris of the Great Valley Railroad. Just as I thought. Mr. Norris had left that morning because of operating difficulties on the Northern Division. So, there it was. Ed Bimrose had isolated me, made sure that everybody who could help me would be unavailable for a couple of days, maybe longer. I walked out of that phone booth into a city of strangers. I couldn't go to my office, I couldn't go home, and hotels were too risky. I jumped a foot into the air as the car approaching slammed to a stop. Hey, Jerry, what's the matter? You getting nervous or something? I relaxed as I looked into the round, grinning face of Izzy Parrish. Oh, hello, Izzy. How's the job? So-so, it's a living. Come on, get in. I said get in. Look, Izzy, I... I'm in a kind of a spot, and I don't want... Shut up! When Izzy Parrish needs 500 bucks because his wife is sick, who lends it to him? And who gets him his job as bouncer at Rimland Ballroom? Jerry Browning, that's who. Okay, so you're in a jam with Ed Bimrose. The smart boys say Ed has your boxed off. That's right, as he has. That's an insult. I've been looking for you for two hours. The trouble with you, Jerry, is you don't know how many pals you got. Get down on the floor, we're going through some bad territory. The meeting was held in the back room of Marty Dugan's tavern. I'd once proved that Marty didn't sell adulterated liquor. Small thing, but it saved his license. Gents, the thing to do is show Ed Bimrose that Jerry ain't playing alone here. Listen, everybody. Shut up. Didn't you get me paroled? I know what to do. We need a show of force. That's what Ed Bimrose understands. I understand it, too. I'm gonna go out and beat his brains in. The rest you take care of his mob. How's that, Izzy? Well, I think that's fine. The motion is carried unanimous. Wait, listen to me, fellas. Believe me, Jerry. This is one job you can't handle alone. So be a good guy. Sit down, or I'll knock your teeth down your throat. I sat there until five the next morning. One by one, the dozen or so men who'd attended the conference struggled back. Finally. Jerry, I got a message here from Ed Bimrose. It says, out of sight, out of mind. I am leaving town at once. Hey, right this after Pete Lopez took Ed's gun away from him and banged it a few times against his head. <sighs> I'm tired. Let's everybody go home. I never did get the full details of what happened that night. But I've got a good imagination. The next morning, the papers ran pictures of the wrecked offices of Bimrose's Protective Association and noted that Mr. Bimrose and his associates seemed to have left town in a great hurry during the night. That was all. Except that during the week, I got indignant phone calls, first from Dawson, then Louie, then Cooley and Norris, asking whether I knew anything about false messages that had called them out of town. I told them all no. I didn't know a thing about it. All I knew was that I felt fine. Better than I'd ever felt in my life. Like I said, nobody lives in the world alone. You've always got a friend. Just look around. <laughs>